Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Dr. Mamina Turagano is a triple board certified dermatologist, internist, and dermatopathologist. You might already know her if you listen to our Clean Beauty School podcast, which I hope you do, or if you're on TikTok or Instagram, as she has a massive following. And today we're gonna chat about the full body biome, which is one of our 2022 wellness trends to watch. Mamina, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So great to have you. You are prolific on Instagram and TikTok, putting out so, but you put out so much goodness. It's educational, informational, always grounded in science and a little bit playful and I love Mm -hmm. it. So great to have you. Yes. I'm so happy to be here. So we're going to talk about the skin microbiome. Let's start with an overview. Could you start there and just give us a primer on the role of the skin microbiome? Yes, definitely. So a lot of people probably already know this, but we have a very healthy ecosystem of bacteria and yeast or fungi living on our skin. And depending on the area of your body, you know, there are different types of bacteria or yeast. But the purpose of the bacteria, they interact, or these organisms in general, they interact with the immune system that's sitting in the superficial layers of our skin, and it keeps our immune system in check. The organisms are also part of our skin microbiome, and that serves to protect our skin. And so, you know, we want to have a healthy array of bacteria that can also prevent pathogenic bacteria from getting in the mix and causing skin issues. So they are here to help us. Yeah. And as I think about the world we live in, in 2021, our biome is at war, if you will, you know, you mentioned pathogens, you meant, you mentioned protection, our immune system, you know, we live in a world of over sanitization. But it's mm-hmm. the it, it is what it is. You mm-hmm. know, we're constantly sanitizing, we're constantly washing, and we're trying to protect ourselves from COVID and everything mm-hmm. else. All those mm-hmm. you know, you know, free radicals and toxins and so forth. And mm-hmm. our skin is on the front lines. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And so you got to take care of the your skin microbiome. Mm-hmm. With that said, you know. Th- what's fascinating is the science, and it's fast and furious. There's a lot of you know, it it is a focus. So in your opinion, what are some of the more exciting research breaks and developments in the microbiome space lately? Anything particularly exciting to you? Yeah, there's definitely a few things that have come out. One, actually, the first thing I want to mention is something with the gut microbiome and the skin. There's, I think there's a lot um, of things that are starting to come out still in the early stages of research. But one of the things actually that I recently learned. So I'm actually doing a fellowship in integrative dermatology, which I'm very excited about. So just learning a lot more about the gut microbiome, how it plays a role with skin health. And one of the things that, you know, just came out recently is though in patients with acne, the majority of the patients have at least two of the three following pathogenic organisms in their system. Majority of patients with acne have something called H. pylori or helicobacter pylori which is bacteria that's responsible for acid reflux, but it also hinders your ability, your body's ability because it's affecting the 
you know, the, the acid production in your stomach is affecting the way that your body digests food and um, absorb nutrition. So that's one bacteria that they're seeing higher rates of people with acne. Another organism that they're seeing higher rates of is Canada. Honestly, I don't know what the best pronunciation is. But anyways, there's higher rates of that. And then there's also protozoa, which are like these single cell eukaryotic organisms. One example is Blastocystis hominis. So, so it's interesting. We're definitely seeing that there are higher rates or more of this imbalance with more pathogenic organisms. And candida is not necessarily pathogenic, but when it's in higher quantities, it can cause problems. So yeah, so I found that to be interesting as, as one of the latest things. And there's also a couple of topical things that have come on the market recently that have some awesome properties that can help replenish the microbiome. See, there's a lot of things coming out, but there's two in particular that I wanted to mention. But there's sure. some, I think a lot of people are familiar with the brand La Roche-Posay. And they have in most of their products, their thermal spring water, which is from the town La Roche-Posay in France. And that has a lot of different nutrients in it. It has prebiotic property. And they have seen when patients use certain creams made by La Roche-Posay with this thermal prebiotic water, it can replenish the microbiome. Because what we see in people with eczema is that they have higher rates of staph bacteria, Staphylococcus aureus bacteria on their skin. And the, this they actually see a change in the microbiome environment, less staph, and then more of the better organisms. So that's really cool. And then there's another really cool product for acne by a company called Terrasana. It's their clear and control, and it's only three ingredients, which I find amazing as a dermatologist. So the main ingredient is squalene oil, which is very nourishing for the microbiome. And, but the other main ingredient is CBG, which is a cannabinoid, which has wonderful anti-inflammatory properties, and it also um, replenishes the microbiome. And yeah, so I am a fan of both of those. I'm just really excited for them for just my, my patients who've ruined their skin with so many like topical antibacterials, as you were mentioning, just like overwashing, over sanitizing. So yeah, so I'm really excited about those. Well, after this show, I'm definitely going to have to send you our postbiotic hand cream because you mentioned oh, yeah. squalene, which oh, ours has, as fan. well nice. as shea butter, moringa seed oil, CoQ10 prebiotics, awesome. aloe vera, and postbiotics. So that is coming to you, our, our yeah, postbiotic hand cream after the show. And so, you know, I, I touched on some of the, the issues we're having with our skin microbiome, you know, we're living in a world of over-sanitization. What, what are some of the other ways we've been harming our microbiome? Yeah. So, you know, in addition to over-sanitization, there are, you know, a lot of treatments that we even use for acne have a lot of antibiotics in them. So we're getting rid of some of the, I guess, bad bacteria, but also, of course, getting rid of some of the good bacteria with that. And then another huge, I think, issue that we see in the derm world is, and you, and I think you did probably also touch on this, but just overwashing, overexfoliating, using products that may be a little bit too harsh for your skin or jumping in too quickly with some products that you know you kind of need to ease your way into so these include exfoliating agents like glycolic acid other alpha hydroxy acids lactic acid and there's also salicylic acid and then you know even things like retinoids retin-a being you know a common prescription retinoid but even over-the-counter retinols can potentially you know 
being harmful and damaging to the skin barrier if you use too much too quickly. And that's probably where I see the most issues. So when, and then there's other products too. If you use a product with a pH that's too high for the skin, so the pH, like, so the skin likes to live in a more acidic pH range, like between, you know, five to six ish. So when using products that are more basic or like higher pH, those can certainly affect the skin barrier and hence the, the microbiome. The microbiome likes to survive in a certain pH too. It, it, look, the, the microbiome is vast and within the biome, there are, there are echo niches mm -hmm. or niches, niche, is it niche? Yeah. Niche. I've had a long day. I need coffee. No, that's another one where I'm like, I don't know. It could be either. <laughs> I, I, I need my coffee, but anyway, could you give us a primer? Yeah. Yeah. So definitely there are some parts of the body that have higher amounts of certain organisms compared to others. So areas that mm, are more prone to acne, these are, we call them more sebaceous areas or oily areas, um, have higher amounts of a bacteria that's, that does play a role in acne. It's not necessarily a bad bacteria, but it's called cutie bacterium acnes. And that's what is targeted with various like topical antibacterial acne agents. But those definitely like to hang out in places like the face, chest, upper back, and then, you know, we'll see also certain staph, staphylococcus species in those areas. And then there's also a yeast that loves oily areas called malassezia. And that's the yeast that's, you know, including the scalp, that's the yeast responsible for dandruff and like inflammation in the scalp too. But it's also the yeast that we see in what a lot of people call fungal acne. I think some dermatologists don't like that phrase because it's not technically acne. It's a type of yeast folliculitis. But anyways, people just know it as fungal acne, but malassezia is also the common culprit for that. And then other parts of the body. So Staph aureus, which is not a good bacteria, actually 30% of us are colonized with Staph. And most of the time it just kind of hangs out and just minds its own business. And it usually hangs out in kind of moist areas. So like in the nostrils, in the armpits, sometimes, you know, on the inner elbows or behind the knees and groin area. So that's where we see more staph. And then there's also another bacteria that likes to hang out in moist areas and can cause odor. It's called coronabacterium. And what's interesting too, so patients with eczema, they do have higher rates of staph. And it's interesting because you see a lot of eczema breakouts like on the inner arms or behind the, the knees. So yeah, but th that's the basic, I guess, overview of the more common organisms. Yeah, and, and you know, when you, when you say staph, you know, I tend to think bad. You know, we hear staph infection, eczema, you hear, you go, you go to a place that's not good. What are some of the, the good strains and like, what were the good strains that live in different areas? Like you talk a little bit about the, the good. Well, there's a gosh, there's a lot of good strains. The first, the, the one that comes to mind is xanthomonas and there's a high amount of those just throughout our skin. And then, you know, all these other things that I mentioned, I guess besides Staph aureus, are they're, they all are part of our normal healthy microbiome. Malassezia, like the yeast, cutie bacterium, acnes. These are all normal. It's just when they thrive or get in the mix of a certain situation. So like, for example, when you have a clogged pore, and bacteria, this bacteria gets trapped in the clogged pore, then it wreaks havoc. But it's supposed to be on the skin and just hang out. It's not supposed to really cause many issues. But, but yeah, in terms of, you know, 
healthy bacteria. Gosh, I feel like there's just so many strains. There's not like one specific one you're shooting to get, you know, and, you know, there's like oral probiotics and there's so many different strains. I think a lot of people talk about like lactobacillus, bifidobacterium. I don't feel like there's something like that with skin. Um, I, I feel like it's just what the goal for the skin when it comes to having a healthy microbiome is having diversity. That's the goal. And I think that applies too with the gut. But yeah, we're not like shooting for, oh, apply this type of probiotic on your skin. And, and when it comes to topical products, it is usually prebiotic stuff that can feed your good bacteria or postbiotics. You know, I, I think this all started with the, the gut microbiome and, and now it's exciting to see the skin. Mm-hmm. Where do you think the, the conversation is going next? Is the oral microbiome, the scalp microbiome, the armpit microbiome? Like we talk about all these areas, like what's your take on, on where the future is? Yeah, I think the future is really finding products that will nourish the microbiome. We've been using so many things that destroy the microbiome and even treating acne. And like I mentioned this earlier, we use a lot of antibacterial or like even retinoids, which is a common acne medicine. They all can affect your skin barrier and affect the microbiome. But I think now there's a trend with like products like Terrazana and things from other companies. I think Aven is another company, A-V-E-N-E, that also has like wonderful probiotic in their water. Seen with another brand, Vichy. It's all these French brands that have like this thermal spring water. We're seeing that instead of using harsh products to like, to take away what's there, we actually want to feed the skin nutrients. So I think there's a trend to nourish the skin, moisturize the skin, keep a healthy skin barrier, use more gentle products. And it can seem counterintuitive to some people. I think just people think you got to have a clean face, wash it all off. But we actually want to keep things gentle, moisturizing, nourishing. So I think we're going to continue to see more products coming out that do that. Well, to build off that too, you know, as we think about the microbiome, you know, it also is what we're, what we're consuming in terms of what foods we're eating, is there diversity? And I'll segue to something I found to be interesting on your, your Instagram and TikTok, mm-hmm. but you did a, a recent reel on hair loss and you talked yeah. about minoxidil, which is a product you can buy and it's, and it works for a lot of people. And then you compared it to pumpkin seed oil. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. can we talk about that? I saw that. I was like, okay, this is interesting. Because on one hand, like pumpkin seed, like I can eat pumpkin. So I start to think like, all right, maybe this consume a lot of pumpkin seeds. So let's just talk about what, talk about that reel. If you could unpack what you found for everyone. Yeah. So um, I have a very strong interest in hair loss. And I always try to find other tips and tricks to address it. And pumpkin seed oil is something that did come up and something that I had learned about in my integrative dermatology fellowship. And what's interesting about pumpkin seed is that it also works on the androgens. So androgens are like the hormones and it can more so in the testosterone family. And a lot of it can play a role with hair loss. So we've seen pumpkin seed consumption playing a role with that. And yeah, there they were. There was an interesting study that compared pumpkin seed oil topically. They're thinking, okay, maybe if it works, you know, on the androgens, it can maybe have an effect with hair regrowth, and it helped with hair regrowth. Now, in that particular study, it compared it to five percent minoxidil, which is the men's Rogaine, and the men's Rogaine did outperform that, but they still saw hair regrowth with pumpkin seed yeah. oil. So I thought that was great, and then. There is also another topical product 
rosemary oil, essential oil, and that was compared to 2% minoxidil, which is in the woman's Rogaine formulation. And those were found to be equal. I'm curious to see how rosemary oil would compare to 5% minoxidil because the study only showed 2%, but that's another cool tool to use. And the way rosemary works, it's different from pumpkin seed. So pumpkin seed works more on the hormones, but rosemary oil boosts circulation and that can help stimulate and nourish the hair follicles. But I also wanted to mention while I'm thinking about this, pumpkin seed oil has also been shown to be helpful for acne too, um, kind of working on similar hormones on the skin. So androgens play a big role with acne development on the skin. And so, yeah, I was actually talking with a couple of my colleagues yesterday evening about this, just how everyone's really loving pumpkin seed oil, even as a moisturizer for acne, but it's also anti-acne too. So it's cool. It's moisturizing and anti-acne. So we're talking about pumpkin seed oil as the topical. What about as an oral, just consuming pumpkin seeds? So I think that, yes, I think that can be helpful for acne and potentially hair loss too. I don't know of studies offhand about that, but, but there might be some stuff out there with those as well. Okay. I, I know I'm zigzagging all over the place, but something else I love it. on your, before we go back to, you know, talking about our, our trend piece, something else on your Instagram, uh, I saw you were, you were freezing a wart uh-huh. and whether this is interesting or not, I'll just share it. For me, it's interesting. So I've always like had warts. Like mm-hmm. I remember as like a kid, I would get them in my hand. I just have always had them. And in like the last year, you know, I didn't go to the doctor, didn't go to the derm a lot. And I, I had a lot of warts on my feet mm-hmm. and I went freezing and fr- I kept on trying to freeze them and freeze them to be like super painful and like they mm-hmm. wouldn't go away. And then finally I was like, all right, this just isn't working for me. Mm-hmm. And I did the old school traditional treatment of duct tape. Love it. And yes. it worked. And I had probably been to the derm 20 or so times, freezing it, and then like limping around and calling my wife would be like, what are you doing? Like, this isn't mm-hmm. working. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, all right, finally, I'm going to listen. And I'm just going to go all into the duct tape. And it yeah. totally worked. That's awesome. Yes, duct tape. <laughs> is actually a very good treatment for warts. There has been studies that looked at duct tape and warts. Yeah, my take with warts is that warts can be kind of crazy. You can throw everything in the kitchen sink and nothing budges, or sometimes they'll go away on their own. But I think it's, I think it's important to kind of address warts from multiple angles. So yeah, freezing is a pretty common and traditional treatment in conventional medicine. But yes, I will also tell people, make sure you keep your warts covered. So duct tape does a good job at doing that because you don't want oxygen. Oxygen can actually feed the wart too. So that's, so you want to kind of suffocate the wart. Um, but I also like to encourage people to do things to boost your own immune system. And, you know, most people with warts are perfectly healthy, but everyone's immune system is just a little different. There's a little bit of variation, not saying that your immune system suppressed in any way, but there have been some compelling studies. And I've also seen it in patients too, with doing higher doses of zinc for just a couple of months that can, that can help things too. But yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm all about hitting it from like any simple, easy, cheap home remedy that's not painful because I don't like inducing pain. I'm like, why did I choose this profession again? Because all I do is is torture people every day. <laughs> but I love that. Like, I love hearing about that because I because, yeah, that's a great way to treat warts, too. Yeah, it, it's been it's been very gratifying because for a while I, I just kept on. It, it was like torture. I, I go back yeah. again and then, oh, this hurts. Yeah, getting a little better. But and then the duct tape, it did it. 
Uh, did you like just wrap it around your foot? Like, how did you do no, it? No, I, I cut it in little pieces. Oh, okay. Like, specifically, because awesome. I had like four. You know what's so funny? Because this is going to go to my, my my next topic I want to cover, talking about like facial symmetry. But like, oh, uh-huh. literally, there was symmetry in my feet. It was like, I, I'm sure an, an acupuncturist or someone who practices Chinese medicine would go to town, but like, uh-huh. same areas in both feet. Wow. I was like, Interesting. Whoa, what's I, going, what's going on here metaphysically or spiritually? <laughs> yeah. I honestly think that something's playing a role with the energy flow. Like I like, okay. So I find that to stuff to be really fascinating because there have been studies that have looked at like stroke victims, like the side that was affected by the stroke had warts. It's like as though the energy or the circulation, it was just not the same on that side. So it's just interesting. So like, yeah, maybe there's something overall that wasn't flowing properly i don't know, you know? I, was, I wasn't grounded or I right, was yeah. with the feet, but like yeah my circulation is pretty good and, and everything okay. i just always had them but now they're gone and i'm very happy so segueing to symmetry yeah <laughs> can you talk about body alignment and how it affects facial symmetry yeah you know i find this topic to be really fascinating and it's I, I don't know if we have enough studies to really say, you know, how much of an impact body alignment plays with facial asymmetry, but I think there certainly is an impact and that there are, you know, pieces of evidence out there that do point to that. Um, I mean, for example, as you know, as people get older, their posture gets affected, you know, people get like a hunchback or like even as you get older, like if you're doing something on the right side of your body for such a long time, like you know, that I'm sure affects your muscles too. And we do know both with just, just anecdotal experience, just seeing patients, but also just in general in studies that older, the more old, the, the older the patients are, the more asymmetry that we can see in faces too. So it, I feel like that's evidence that our body's alignment, you know, the way that we're using our muscles can affect our face. So that's one thing. But yeah, and then also, so I talked about this too, like if you're using one side of your body more, like if you're using like certain back muscles or neck muscles more, that can like subtly pull, subtly pull the head in, you know, that direction. And also you may not be using like, so if you're pulling your head in one direction from the muscles from your neck and back, it could, the facial muscles on the other side could be trying to pull the face back towards the other end so then you can get kind of more muscle on the side that's not affected and you know less muscle on the side that's being pulled so that's another example and then another thing that i thought was interesting is there was actually a study that was done i I think it was like oral surgeons where you know they saw that maybe a the asymmetry in the jaw can actually cause bad posture. So, so almost like the opposite. So, you know, we think, okay, bad posture or misalignment can cause asymmetry. But what they did do is they did surgery on people with these asymmetric jaws and saw that their posture improved, which is interesting. So it's, it, they're probably both connected. They probably both feed into each other and support each other. What can we do if, you know, what, what can we do to help facial asymmetry? So if if you're noticing something, you know, what what action can we take? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be person dependent. And I think because it's going to be trying to find out, okay, what's the root? What's the cause behind it? Is this something new? And if it's something new, was there an event or an accident or some kind of physical trauma that happened that could have maybe led to that? Is there a habit or activity that you're doing that's 
making you do something more on one side versus the other. And so first trying to figure out, you know, what the issue is, like, did you have a neck injury? Like, so maybe we need to address your neck. But yeah, it can be tough. Some people like, oh, I had this my whole life. Some people I notice too, if you sleep on a certain side, that that side of your face gets flatter. So maybe it's just addressing your sleep. But if it's hard to pinpoint, I'm actually a fan of chiropractics and having them take a look to see if there's any misalignment in your neck, your overall spine. I'm a fan of that. I'm a fan of massage work, ways to reduce tension in your upper back, neck, shoulders. Those are the ones that come to my mind. And I am also a fan of facial massage too. Well, it's interesting. You know, I, at a personal level, I, I was seeing someone for some body work and he noticed when I, like just looking at my spine, standing up perfectly uh-huh. straight, uh-huh. but when I bent over, he was like, it's very slight, like very slight scoliosis. Interesting. And I was like, that's interesting because I've never had it. I was an athlete and he was like, well, are you doing anything that like tilting this way? And then I thought to myself, yes, actually what was happening for like a six month period, our four-year-old was having trouble sleeping and, and like jumping into her bed in the middle of the night. And so I would sleep on my side one way and with my spine going in that way. And I was like, this is what's happening. And then took notice of it. One, we, we really, you know, started to get our four-year-old to stay in her bed that helped. And then I was very conscious of, of going, sleeping on the other way. I see. Yeah. And then I saw him a couple of weeks ago and he was like, it's better. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> but I don't know how it helped my face, but on that note, like how can we use body work to help our skin? You know, I think, yeah. So I think that, you know, when it comes to body work, so I think of things like like massage um, and acupuncture and, you know, just overall, okay, I don't even know if this is the best term to use. I was going to say like energy healing type of modalities, whether it's like Reiki or other forms of that. And I do, because I think that everything does manifest with the skin. Like when the body is balanced, when things are balanced, it can show up as this, you know, as healthy skin too. So yeah. So in terms of, body work, doing those things. I'm a fan of facial massage too, because I do think that it just invigorates the muscles in your face, you know, promotes circulation, provides the nourishment that our face needs. So I'm all about that. And I don't think you have to get fancy. I mean, you can even just use your own fingers with a facial oil. I know a lot of people are fans of like the gua sha tool. I am a fan of like different tools because to me it's fun. But yeah, I think just those simple activities of just like even just using your fingers to massage your face is helpful. So you've mentioned circulation a couple of times now. So mm-hmm. let's talk about circulation. What role yeah. does circulation play when it comes to our skin health or overall health? Yeah, well, the purpose of circulation and having healthy and robust circulation is to make sure that you can provide different parts of our body with the nourishment and nutrients that those body parts need. And also make sure that you're clearing out the buildup, the toxins or whatever, so that there's like this continuous flow. And when it comes to, to skin health, when there's not as much flow, you can get things like dry skin. You can get like swelling in places where you don't want swelling. I even think like certain rashes and acne 
when there's not good circulation, like things aren't getting cleared out as effectively. So yeah, I'm a fan of circulation. And I don't know if you saw any of my videos with my mom, but like so many of her videos, and it, I was just like noticing this more retrospectively is just they all the different techniques that she shares about, whether it's like sitting in the chi machine or like tapping on your heels, these are all things that somehow enhance circulatory flow in your body. And yeah, you're just keeping the energy flowing, keeping things moving. What you don't want is like stagnation. Things aren't clearing out. Things aren't getting nourished. So yeah. So what's your biggest pet peeve <laughs> when it comes to skin health? that you see out there on social media where you just scratch your head and said, I can't believe I'm seeing this. Uh, I mean, this might be more a general pet peeve, but I do get annoyed when people think that all they need are topical products to make their skin better. Not thinking about diet, not thinking about stress. People pay, put so much emphasis on Skincare, like topical agents, which of course can make a huge difference. You know, I think people are not really looking at the big picture. So looking at the big picture, what's the, the one thing, or maybe it's, it's a few things. I know it's hard to generalize, but if you had to generalize, what are the few things that anyone and everyone could do and all benefit from with regards to improving their skin health? What do you, what should everyone be thinking of? Yeah. So outside of skincare. Yeah, to make their, yes. for their skin health. Like, mm -hmm. is it, you know, hydration? Is mm -hmm. it, well, I'll, I'll let you, mm -hmm. I'll stop there. What are, what are the couple things that, that we've all got different skin types. We've all got mm -hmm. different issues. Mm -hmm. What could everyone benefit from doing? Yes. And, you know, I think this also applies to just overall health too, which makes sense because if your internal health is good, your skin's going to be good. But yeah, the three categories that just comes to mind are nutrition, sleep, and stress. And when it comes to nutrition, there are some very well-studied foods or studies that have shown that there are certain foods that can, that can accelerate aging or that can contribute to inflammation in the skin. One of the foods that kind of come up consistently is, is sugar, like processed sugar, not fruit. We love fruit. We love the antioxidants from fruit and the fiber. But yeah, you know, so processed carbs essentially doesn't have to be sweet, you know, I'm sure you heard of this, all the white foods, white bread and all that. But yeah, so we've seen that. And then we've also seen a lot of compelling evidence with dairy as well with skin health. More mostly with acne, but we were seeing issues with eczema, yeah, with dairy. And then also issues with like processed vegetable oils, especially when it comes to aging. And then yes, the other two, yes, stress and sleep. I mean, it's just amazing how one can just look glowing like after they come back from a vacation where they don't have to think about anything. Yeah. Oh, it reminds me too. This is a very controversial subject is sun. So most dermatologists are like anti-sun because it causes skin cancer and accelerated aging. We see it firsthand. Like, I mean, you could just, when you just, when we're doing like a full body skin check, you could just see the dramatic difference between an area of skin that doesn't get sun and like an area that gets a lot of sun. But I do, I'm definitely a believer that some sun exposure every day is also beneficial for your skin and overall health. And I'm saying like 10 minutes, if you're prone to skin cancer, if you have fair skin, I mean, the most common place we see skin cancer are like your, it's like your face and like the tops of your hands and arms. So you could at least put sunscreen there if you're, if you are, you know, at high risk, but, but yeah, even just getting a little bit of sun and this might sound so like, I'm, 
I don't know what my derm colleagues are going to say when they hear this. But anyways, I, I am a believer that sun has benefits. Well, I agree. And I think my take is there's a difference between sunbathing, like going out and, and like, you know, sunbathing as a sport versus I am making it part of my lifestyle where I'm getting outside and, mm-hmm. and, and p- part of my day is getting outside and having the benefit of direct sunlight in my skin. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. my question there is, let's say you, you live in, you know, Florida or, or Louisiana, where you are somewhere that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's not Australia. Mm-hmm. I love my Australian friends, but they've got other issues with the ozone layer. It's different. Oh, yes. But if you live somewhere or Southern California, where th- there is a lot of sun, you're somewhat closer to the equator. How much, you know, is it okay? You know, we talked about 10 minutes. My question is always like, is it like 10 minutes I'm staring in the sun or can I, do we have leeway on, on the amount of time we're in the sun? If I'm, you know, out in the morning and the UV mm-hmm. index is like, mm-hmm. like two, mm-hmm. and, you know, have maybe 15 minutes there that I had out for lunch. The UV index is like seven or eight. It's a little bit higher. Maybe it's just five minutes that I'm picking up my kids around three and the UV index drops again, but that's 20 minutes. Like, is that what's your, I I know it's nuanced, but I'm trying to get an understanding of, because to your point, I see this all the time and it's a problem. And we live in a world where, you know, (laughs) there are extremes where it's like, stay the hell out of the sun. And then it's like, whatever you know, throw out your sunscreen. It's all terrible. Soak it all in vitamin D. Yeah. So like, well, what's your take on that imaginary day I just shared with you? Yeah. I think that you actually bring up a good point because of course, yeah, depending on where you live in the world, depending on the time of day, the level of sun that you get varies. So I know I say 10 minutes as like a generic statement, but I, it, that probably applies more to midday sun and I know it's tough. It, I mean, if you're in the north, I would say maybe give yourself a few more minutes. So, so yeah. But yeah, if it's before 10 a.m. after 2 p.m., that's usually yeah. You know, between 10 and 2 is usually like when the sun index is the highest. You know, you can be out for a little bit longer. But yes, it is a nuanced question, so yes. I can't give you like a great specific answer because I don't know if that's been studied. It's all good. And I think nuance is just so lost in 2021, but I think there is nuance to the sun conversation. So I think yeah. everyone can do their own homework, but mm-hmm. it, 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 it's not black and white. Yeah. It is gray. It is gray. Something, the last thing I want to touch on. So we talked about the foods that are terrible for skin, you know, uh-huh. sugar, processed, you know, carbs, processed white foods. Let's talk about the pumpkin seeds of the world. What are some of the yeah. foods where if I'm going grocery shopping and I want to eat my way to better skin, what are some of those foods we should put on our shopping list? All right. Great question. Before I mention like specific foods, I want to mention like two categories and one is fiber and the other are antioxidants. Both are amazingly good for skin health and just overall health too. I think like just with uh, agriculture and everything, like the amount of fiber in our diets is just so much lower than it should be. And so, yeah, so foods that have high amounts of fiber, whether it is certain vegetables or, you know, yeah, legumes, things like that. And then antioxidants. And then when I think antioxidants, I actually think of fruit a lot. And I think that a lot of people 
actually in the paleo world, and I used to be paleo too, but I, I feel like fruit has been demonized a lot, but there are so many wonderful, amazing nutrients in fruit. I don't think you should overdo it with fruits. I don't think you should have a fruit-only diet, obviously, but yeah, things that are just rich in color, you know, like pomegranate berries, and then, you know, I mean, really, I mean, citrus, like all those things, vitamin C too, it's a great antioxidant. And then, of course, your green leafy vegetables, really colorful foods, the color, it's the antioxidants, it's what gives food color. So that's why people say eat the rainbow, because, because yeah, you want all those different types of antioxidants, polyphenols. So yeah, I, so I don't have, there's not like a golden single food that's going to make your skin amazing. But yes, you want to look for foods rich in fiber and or rich in antioxidants. The other thing I was going to say, there's also the topic of collagen too, which a lot of people are fascinated by or have questions about and wondering if that's something that they should take. That's, I also think it's like a little bit of a controversial topic because some people say collagen doesn't do anything if you break it down collagen. So how are you going to like replenish your collagen? But based on all the studies that are out there, not that I've like read every single study, but I, it does, I, I think that there is compelling evidence to, to take collagen supplementation, whether it's marine collagen, bovine collagen, I think that's still up for debate, but, but there are compelling studies that shows that it really does help with aging. Well, anecdotally, it's work wonders for me. I have to send oh, you our great. beauty, our beauty and gut collagen too oh, after the show, because it has its grass fed collagen peptides, hyaluronic nice. acid, vitamin C, vitamin E, biotin, L-glutamine, turmeric, and sulforaphane okay. glucosinolate, which to me is like one of the most underrated ingredients out there, broccoli seed extract. Okay. Amazing. So I'll, I'll send that to you. You send me your address after, but I oh, believe thank it. You. And like, I have, you know, I'm 47. And so like my hair, you know, the hair is still there and it's thick yeah. and it's done pretty good head of hair. Wonder, yeah. And, and like, <laughs> you know, I've got the little, the V and it stopped. Like there, there were a couple of years ago. I was like, oh, is this going to keep going? But no. So I'm good. Just do a little pumpkin seed oil and you'll be fine. Pumpkin, I, 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 I am consuming a lot of pumpkin seeds. Because nice. um, on a personal level, like I stopped one, I was taking a little bit too much zinc. Mm -hmm. and zinc can also hurt iron absorption and mm -hmm. so my iron levels dropped and so mm -hmm. and I was exercising I was doing a couple of things I should have done and so I started to and like if you're and I largely eat I'm like 80% plant-based I don't eat that mm -hmm. much meat yeah what's a great source of plant-based iron pumpkin seeds mm -hmm. so eating a lot of pumpkin seeds so maybe right. that's helping me now too yeah yeah that's great yeah, that's good to know. I didn't realize that pumpkin seeds were, was a good source of iron because I, low iron itself is also a, a big cause of hair loss too. So I think pumpkin seeds beneficial in multiple ways. Yeah, it's and and they're great. And there are lots of great brands out there that kind of do fun things with them. The go yeah. raw ones I love, but like they're pumpkin seeds. So at any rate, Lamina, thank you so much for, for all of our listeners. Please follow her and all of her channels. She is prolific. She is always <laughs> educational and, and always has add some levity, which is much needed in our space. Definitely. Well, thank you so thank, much. Thank you so much. Really appreciated this.